Well, we we kind of sort of had a had a sneakily lie to her about why. Luckily, my brother's birthday was the first, so it's oh yeah, Granddad's coming up to see Uncle Ben for his birthday. Good one. Good one. But uh, so it's they said it was the Student of the Year award, but it's actually called the Lieb. Uh, what's the family Liebheim Award? It's the grandchildren of the educator or. He was on the school board. They named the school after him. He died in, I forget when they said it was, but like they, they named the school after him in 1960. And so the grandkids of, of him got together and they're donating. Uh, they donate. You get a plaque with your name. There's a big plaque in the school that gets a, a little, they put a plaque on it. And then you also get $500 to be used for educational purposes. Wow. So, yeah, she won a major award. That's impressive. They've been doing it for 17 years, and I'm like, I graduated 30 years ago. What's going on? How come I didn't get an award? <laughs> well, they weren't giving out awards for uh, most memorizations of Star Wars movies at that time. <laughs> there were only three movies at that time. It was real easy. We are recording. We are recording. All righty. Uh, let's see. You start off by saying, I presume that Tyler left the phone message. So we'll lead off with that as usual. Uh, I don't think that he did. It's like I checked my, uh, my video camera, which is where I record just uh, uh, questions when he leaves them as a phone message. And... Um, there is no June phone message. There's a May phone message. Uh, but we already covered that one. That was uh, that was the Oliver's movie. We covered that in depth. Uh, even even to Jeff Seiler's most exacting uh, standards. So uh, that was a good thing. Uh, the Theosis question. He did tell me that um, he. I think he downloaded the Wikipedia listing for Theosis and then uh, wrote his own commentaries on the Wikipedia listing and asked that I not read his commentaries until I read the Wikipedia listing and then, uh, you know, drew my own conclusion and then we can sort of match his conclusions against my conclusions. The only thing that I was I was able to gather about it right now, like I say, I can't I couldn't even find uh, uh, theosis in uh, in my online um, laptop dictionary, which uh, is pretty well exhaustive, and uh, couldn't find it in either of the physical dictionaries that I got. And I was thinking, well, it'll be just like Jeff that this will come in with. Uh, 20 minutes until I'm talking to Matt and I have to have to digest all of this on the run but fortunately uh, nothing came in the mail today so uh, so it's still in transit so it looks like that one's going to become uh, a, uh, a July a July question uh, I do have a nagging feeling that he did have uh, a June question of some kind and uh I think I might have deleted it as part part of another uh, another phone message that he left. 
not knowing that it had his June question there. So uh, sincere apologies to Jeff. I was I was going to phone him and say, what what was your June question? Not that the else's one, the package didn't come in. What's what's the other question? I was pretty sure he was going to go, well, beach out of me. Out of me. I, how do I know? Once I ask the question, I forget it. Uh, same as same as everybody else in our in our age group. Uh, anyway, speaking of Siler, I remember that he once sent you a postcard of an American flag, and you kept it and left it in the sun, so it faded. Yes, in uh, the front window of the uh, of the off white house, and uh, you painted it again and again until it was more paint than postcard. And you asked him if he could uh, send you another one. Actually, could he bring up another one? That was when uh, uh, he was coming up for a visit when uh, he was getting things um, settled with, as he calls her, the crazy Canadian lady. Um, and uh, he brought uh, a, a few postcards and a couple of stickers, and all of those faded. Uh, then he sent you... A, and he sent you a full-size three-foot-by-five-foot flag. Uh, and when he told me, I found you a set of American flag car stickers and sent them up. Uh, yes, those faded as well. Uh, my question is, how many do you have left, or are you out? And I don't know who it was. It was either you or Jeff who um, sent me physical three-by-five uh, American flags on little American flagpoles that were actually made out of, I'm not sure what they're made of, something that's sort of cloth-like, but far more plastic than cloth. And uh, those haven't faded. I got I got two of those. I think I think Jeff might have brought those up. It was like, let's, let's try a variety. I think I sent them. I, th I think it was... I found, okay. All I, right. I found the flags in the poles, and then I found, I found a bigger flag on a pole, and then I found smaller flags on a pole, and then I found the window decals, and I'm like, at a certain point, Dave will have enough American flags. Yes, and uh, as it stands now, it, uh, that, that flag has not faded. Uh, old glory is still glorious and still waving in... Uh, in the front window, about the same extent that the one on the moon is waving, and um, I've I've got a spare. I've got a backup sitting on the windowsill inside, in case any in case anything does happen to the one in the window. And uh, it does excite a an occasional uh, question or um, snarky comment in the neighborhood because I live in a um, Liberal Canada hotbed, Kitchener Center, and uh, it's it, 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 people who are really, really devout, uh, bright red liberals in Canada are uh, far closer to China than they are to the United States, both heart, mind, and soul. So uh, I do get comments about, uh, so you're from the States? And I go, uh, no. <laughs> and they go, uh, I, under, uh, I think you have an American flag in the front window. Like, why would you have an American flag in the front window if you weren't like a, a, a hated American? <laughs> it's like, uh, I do that because uh, United States of America is the only thing 
standing between uh, Canada getting invaded and conquered by uh, by either Russia or uh, or the communist uh, Chinese Communist Party, and uh, I do have a certain loyalty to the people who are who are keeping our our democracy safe, which is why uh, I support whoever is in the Oval Office, whether it's. Uh, Barack Obama or Donald Trump or, or Joe Biden, uh, it's going to be up to them as to whether uh, the, the true North strong and free <laughs> remains the, the true North strong and free. And uh, I'm, I'm extremely loyal to uh, the people who are going to uh, defend our democracy, which, as Groucho Marx said about uh, Argo Dumont's chastity. Uh, we, we, we have to defend this woman's honor, which is more than she ever did. Uh, okay. Uh, moving on from there, David Brown asked, hello. I enjoy your blog about service, and it appears to be, now be the semi-official home of Dave Sim. Uh, that's true. Definitely the uh, as close to official home for uh, Dave Sim online as you can. Do you know if Mr. Sim still does sketch commissions for people? I've looked all over the site and cannot find any information about this. Uh, would the best thing uh, to do be to ask Mr. Sim directly about this by sending him a letter? Thank you for your blog, and any response that you have will be valued. Thank you, David Brown. And thank you, David, for asking questions. No, this situation that I'm in right now, trying to uh, um, not have the risk deteriorate uh, any faster than it's deteriorating and trying to uh, keep it at, a, at a, uh, as close to stable as I can get. Uh, when I do drawings, it has to be uh, maximum bang for the maximum bump. Uh, buck uh, that I can possibly do, which is uh, why when you see uh, drawings by Dave Sim on a moment of Cerebus, it's going to probably be either Spawn and Cerebus or Cerespawn or uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Cerebus number one and now Cerebus number two because uh, Sad to say, that's still really all that Dave Sim is known for in terms of, hey, yeah, I'll buy one of them. So uh, that's one of the reasons that I'm going to be putting in some time on uh, the high society prints and uh, having that as a perennial seller at Service Overloan, Waverly Press's Service Overloan. In terms of sketches, uh, no, how, however much money I would have to charge you in order to do a sketch, it would have to be on the basis of, well, this is uh, using up risk on myself, and I'm really, really trying not to do that. Uh, and it's only going to be one drawing for one person. So, uh, unfortunately, it just doesn't. Uh, doing sketches doesn't meet the criteria of uh, if I am drawing, it has to be something that uh, A, a lot of people will buy copies of. Again, um, 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or uh, Cerebus Number One. We're hoping it extends to Cerebus Number Two, and then it extends to Cerebus Number Three. We'll find out uh, when we get to when to get to those Kickstarter. But uh, outside of that, uh, I'm really not doing any drawing at all. But uh, thank you very much for your interest on that. Uh, Chad Lambert has a Cerebus in Hell pitch. My pitch is simple. From the cockles of Satan's sack comes Jingles the Undead. Uh, I like it already, although I was going to do a, uh, a picture of Satan with, uh, with a word balloon going, does a sack have cockles? <laughs> I, I, I was wondering about that. It's like, I know that you have the cockles of your heart, but uh, I think we're probably all in agreement that Satan doesn't have a heart. So maybe, maybe his sack is where Satan keeps his cockles, and we're not going to go any further with the punchline on that one. Uh, Jingles isn't a zombie. He's brought back to life a few minutes after he died. Uh, proving a minute in the infernal realm feels like a lifetime. Uh, he's not in the real world very long before immediately returning to hell to share his tale of resurrection to no one who cared. Uh, there you go. That's, a, that's about the way uh, the world is uh, about resurrection in general. And we're we're, we're, we're all on the same page now. Hell with a question mark is a lot like here. Uh, it would have brief cameos from both Cerebus and Possum at Large. Uh, Possum at Large, of course, is Chad, Chad Lambert's uh, uh, creation, mainly because Jake T. T Possum has experience bouncing back and forth from the infernal realm to our living infernal realm. Uh, Paper-thin idea? Yeah but I can make it funny, he says, with a smiley face, cheapy emoticon, which is actually just uh, a colon and a parenthesis. Uh, thanks, Chad. So, um, yeah, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm up. And this is, this is a general rule about, uh, about Cerebus and Hell. If you've got a Cerebus and Hell concept and... Uh, you want to you want to pitch me on it? I'm always looking for uh, for more grist grist for the mill. We're um, we're just coming down to uh, as far as I know, finishing up uh, 2022. Uh, the furthest no, the the earliest uh, scheduled uh, book, uh, according to David Birdsong. Uh, would be October 2022. So it really means uh, only got to get the October, November, and December uh, issues done. So uh, as far as I know, that's that's what we're doing. Uh, Kurtz versus Kurtz, number one. Um, Hello, Dolly, number one. Um, and um, David Birdsong's romance book are all, all flailing in love, are, are all in the process of being done. So uh, kind, of, kind of jazzed about that, but uh, it's, it's a relentless process. It'll be January 2023 before we know it, and 
January 
you do this one pager, it's like, mm, I'm not really looking to have another church and state headache on, on my plate where it gets up over 600 pages. 500 pages will do it for me. So um, those are the, uh, there, there might be other instances, and I'm just not thinking of it correctly, where uh, uh, changes were made from the individual issues to the reprinting. But um, not a lot of that happened because it was so much proofreading and so much correcting that was done on the fly to get a book to the printer. Um, we were we were like sharks. We we feed constantly and we always have to be moving forward. And that's what we did for 26 years and three months. Uh, there really really wasn't either time or inclination to uh, to fix stuff like that. So that's the answer to Steve's question number one. Question number two, when the Silver Spoon pages were originally printed in the Comics Buyer's Guide, and I'm a lucky owner of the full set of these, uh, you sure are. <laughs> I know there's, there's a lot of service fans out there who that's really tough to get uh, to get all of the silver spoon strips, and then uh, the other one is uh, is Richard Prunning's ads for service that ran in the Comics Buyer's Guide. Uh, the Comics Buyer's Guide was comics newspaper, and comics newspapers were mostly just recycled. You had to be a completely obsessive fan to collect the Comics Buyer's Guide, 52 issues a year or however many years it was going. Um, I know John Tran in Toronto did that, and I saw his collection of uh, Comics Buyer's Guides complete that he had bought from somebody. And it's like, you're insane. This is this is a Toronto-sized house. It's a very, very good-sized house for, uh, for Toronto. But uh, this should be devoted to living space. This is insane. You're you're very lucky that uh, that Sue is this is this tolerant of you. Um, so yeah, I'm a lucky owner of a full set of these. Were they paid for as full page ads or what? Uh, no, they weren't. Uh, that was really the trade off. Was uh, Alan Light got a free full page uh, Prince Valiant parody for? however many weeks that was, and uh, I got the benefit of the entire Comics Buyer's Guide audience going, what the heck is this? And there was, you know, four or five lines uh, and lettered at the bottom of each page saying, this is what this is, comic book. Go to your comic book store and say, uh, I want to subscribe to Cerebus the Aardvark, and I want to buy Swords of Cerebus. Uh, I can't exactly recall, but it may have been these strips and the recommendation of Cat Ironwood that led me to start reading Cerebus. And yes, I think that happened a lot. Uh, again, the Comics Buyer's Guide was uh, the hub publication, uh, in a sense that uh, Comics Journal never really was. The Comics Journal was definitely a specialized avant-garde publication. Uh, the Comics Buyer's Guide was for people who liked comics, liked reading about comics, liked 
being drawings of superheroes and lights shopping for bargains, uh, flea market style, from people uh, posting individual ads. So yes, that was that was when I shift, shifted gears from saying, well, I'm going to put Sarah's stories in as many uh, indie anthologies as I possibly can. Indie anthologies never came out. Uh, they would ask you for a Cerebus story, you do them a Cerebus story, and uh, two years later, three years later, or never, uh, that story would come out. So that was when I went, let's do Cerebus somewhere that actually does come out and comes out on time. And that was really uh, the Comics Buyer's Guide and that was it. Right. You were going to say something? No, 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 no. Uh, I, I'm just thinking back that, and, and that's when you decided to go monthly, and 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 the whole ball of wax started getting, you know, the, the freight train started speeding up on you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, as usually happens in that case. You you come up with a bunch of ideas and you try them. And then you go, oh, okay, this was the one I should have tried from the beginning. It, uh, at the same time that I was drawing Cerebus number one, I should have been doing a Cerebus Prince Valiant parody and sending it to Alan Light. And the whole thing would have started rolling uh, a couple of years earlier. But uh, as, as the Germans say, we get, we get too soon old and too late schmapp. <laughs> and uh, that's... That's a truism. Uh, Steve's third question. Uh, did DC contact you before reprinting the Spirit Cerebus story in the final Spirit Archive edition? And no, they didn't. Uh, and I was quite kind of glad that they didn't because that's one of the things that I've been trying to get um, more firmly entrenched in, uh, in the comic book field is um, the notion that if you worked on it, you co-own whatever it is. And uh, what you're seeing there is Dennis Kitchen finally um, coming around to that viewpoint and going, anytime that I want to reprint the Cerebus and spirit story because I'm the guy who decides what happens with Will Eisner's work. I can reprint that anywhere that I want to and I don't have to tell Dave Sim. I don't have to get written permission from Dave Sim. Um, even DC Comics doesn't have to get written permission from Dave Sim because that's just not the way Dave Sim works. If, if you worked on it, you can reprint it. And uh, we would have a lot, I, I really think we would have a lot fewer headaches in the comic book field if, uh, if that was just the general policy um, so that we're not giving scarce comic book dollars, scarce comic book creator dollars, scarce comic book publisher dollars, um, scarce comic book distributor dollars to lawyers to draw up agreements that really aren't worth the paper that 
they're printed on anyway, unless people are going to actually conform to them. If you just go on the basis that if you worked on it, you can reprint it because it's your work. Um, I I don't see I don't see where the downside is in that. Although I do understand that we live in uh, a very litigious society that uh, really believes that lawyers have to be dragged in everywhere, or you're just asking for uh, a lawsuit. I think it's exactly the opposite uh, opposite of that. That uh, the more you drag the lawyers in, the more apt you're going to have lawsuits. The more you just say, "Look, this is just me and you um, agreeing to do this. We can do that. We have free will. We live in a democracy. Uh, we live under the rule of law. Um, you aren't going to rip me off. I'm not going to rip you off." Um, my work, I can reprint my work, you can pre reprint your work. Now we can just pay attention to actually creating work instead of uh, spending all our time in lawyers' offices and, and drawing up uh, agreements and lawsuits and stuff like that. Okay, uh, thank you for the three questions there, Steve. Those were, uh, uh, you didn't know that they were all interlocking questions, and uh, it, was, it was good to cover that. Uh, Michael R., the most famous thing from Easton, Pennsylvania, since they read the Declaration of Independence there in 1776. Axed. Did they do that? Did they read it there in 1776? Yeah, I, I, I went on Wikipedia and uh, Easton, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, and I forget where the third place is, were the first three places that the public, that the Declaration was publicly read to, you know, Somebody on the corner reading at the top of their lungs. Wow. That's terrifically impressive. And Michael R. lives there. Huh. As, as Jimmy Stewart used to say, well, 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 what do you know about that? Uh, hi, Matt. Hope all is well with you and York. Oh, yeah, this is funny. Thank you for keeping the peace at Amon. Uh... You, you don't see yourself as keeping the peace at Amok? I, uh, I, I see myself as waking up and going, eh, not today. And then, you know, going to work or something and then coming home and going, oh yeah, I have to deal with that thing. L oh, okay. Lately, there's an anonymous commenter who comes on and posts Nazi, hateful, anti-Jew, anti-black, anti-me, Carson and Margaret bullcrap. And I have to delete his comments, and then, and it's usually like seven, eight comments within five minutes, and then I lock commenting down so that I have to approve everything, and then he goes away for a couple weeks, and then like Beetlejuice, he pops up again. <laughs> and on the one hand, I don't want anybody seeing this crap because it's crap. I mean, it's you know, uh, I'm trying to remember one of them I actually laughed about it was some about me being gay and, and then wondering if my wife and I'm thinking if I'm gay how come I have a wife right but uh but so on the one hand you know I don't I mean it's, it's offensive crap that you know take it off because it does not anything about service or Dave Sim or Gerhardt or anything and on the other hand approval is authoritarian construct and if I have to approve it that makes me an authoritarian right right so I, 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 
I lock, I lock it for a day or two, and then I'm like, I don't want to do this. This isn't this isn't what I signed up for. And then I unlock everything, and and everybody's cool for a little bit. And then you know, two three weeks go by, and this guy shows up, and it's all right. Back to lockdown. So he sends like a bunch of them. He'll uh, com- yeah, he'll, he'll 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 comment on like seven or eight different posts, and and it's always it, it's not it's not like it's you know. It's just usually one or two sentences, and it's just, you know, like, uh, uh, Jews are evil, make them into lampshades, uh, trying to think. One of them was Ger- Gerhard's right, and then something that was anti-Jewish. I'm like, Gerhard would never say something anti-Jew. It just, it, it, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that has strong political opinions that he would tell anybody. Right. You know, Gerhard's right. a nice guy, Dave's a nice guy. You know, that, and... Uh, trust, I mean, and, and, and it started, the first one started with uh, Ben Hobbs managed to catch him and delete some of them, but one of them, it sounded like it may have been me being self-depreciating, and I'm like, no, that wasn't me. Yeah, yeah, delete that one. Right, right. Okay, yeah, it's, um, I think that's really all you can do is realize um, this is just uh the Johnny Appleseed of hot buttons sort of thing. He just goes hither and yon, scattering his his toxic uh, uh, hot button prov- provocations uh, wherever he, he can find a place that, that they'll let him do it. And, uh, well, that's, that's really the downside of freedom of expression is uh, um, you can't, you can't, shut down everything like that but uh, I think you can at the least say well okay here's a funny one or here's here's why I think this is a funny one and uh, I think that's one of the th- points that we have to get to is that uh, the people who are addicted to hitting everybody's hot button are actually pretty funny like it's a very funny thing to do um because it's uh, it's lets you and him fight. It's not you know I want to pick a fight with you. It's no I just want to uh, I just want to uh, create create fiction uh, friction and discord wherever I can. Okay, so back to uh, Michael R. That, yeah, this was funny that uh, he's he's got this uh, the, the question about uh, Jocka said to Cerebus and. Uh, then you tell him, <laughs> okay, Dave already talked about this in the introduction, and, and here's the quote from it. But uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to, uh, to visit the old Gufo, what a mess. The, uh, on October 26, 1921, uh, when Zelda gave birth uh, to her and Scott's daughter and only child, Frances Scott, Scotty Fitzgerald, as she emerged from the anesthesia, he recorded Zelda saying, Oh God, Goofo, I'm drunk. Mark Twain, isn't she smart? She has the hiccups. I hope it's beautiful and a fool. A beautiful little fool. And it's like, that's that's very self-revelatory, I think, of, uh, of Zelda's personality. But then uh, there, was, there was only one Zelda Sayre, um, Fitzgerald, 
things that I would note is if your wife has a um, a nickname for you that's Goofo, uh, that's not a good sign. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, uh, if it's an affectionate nickname and uh, a cute nickname, that's fine. If it's uh, if it's something that says um, you're stupid and I'm smart, uh, I I would really be wary of that. But then Zelda was quite a looker, so there was very little that Scott was uh, was wary about. Uh, this has got another uh, resonant, uh, interesting resonance in, to it. I'm going to skip down to. I also found this about Fitzgerald in Wikipedia. Uh, Fitzgerald. Uh, worked on two weeks of unused dialogue on loan out to David Selznick for Gone with the Wind 1939, for which he received no credit. And yes, indeed. This seems to me in uh, comic arithmetic terms, uh, one of those things where trying to figure out, okay, what what was the largest metaphysics around here? And I think there was a large metaphysical impulse in uh, the 1920s, and certainly uh, post-World War One. I. I don't know which of those is the more relevant point, probably post-World War One, uh, to try and find a female writer and a male writer, and that they would write together, and by doing that, they would bring about a um, uh, a great uh, not compromise uh, consolidation of of the two gender viewpoints. Who who could be better than an accomplished writer to do that? It's like uh, is that a rhetorical question? Because we we can do that. And I think that's what happened with Scott and Zelda, and it just became uh, an intellectual bloodbath. Uh, with Zelda coming out definitely on uh, on the on the raw side of that one, um, I, I I would agree that she went insane, but I would say that uh, Scott Fitzgerald drove her insane. Uh, that they were both. Essentially, that's what they got to the point of. Either Zelda was going to drive Scott insane, or Scott was going to drive Zelda insane. And Scott won that one because Zelda was the one who ended up in the institution, not Scott, which means he was able to appear less crazy than he was uh, and consequently have all of the doctors and the courts on his side. And Zelda wasn't able to do that and ended up uh, institutionalized for the rest of her life. So um, the she has the hiccups is the thing that uh, I hadn't really noticed noticed before, because I think the same thing happened with uh, John Marsh and Margaret Mitchell, where they were intended to be the writing couple, where John as a intrepid reporter for the Atlanta Journal and Margaret Mitchell as the decrepit reporter 
for the Atlanta Journal would write at each other and achieve this great um, gender balance stasis because who better than two intellectual writers to accomplish that? And it's like, again, is this a rhetorical question? Because we can, we can enact that, which they did with John Marsh and, uh, and Margaret Mitchell. And John Marsh just became Margaret Mitchell's galley slave, uh, basically her uh, chief of staff and major domo who uh, takes care of all of the uh, Gone with the Wind translation business while Margaret Mitchell sits around writing letters to people. And it's like that killed John Marsh. It destroyed his health. Uh, so that was, um, you know, Scott won, Zelda lost, uh, Margaret Mitchell won, John Marsh lost. But both of them were colossal losses in, in the sense of, well, if you're looking at, at this as a way of uh, uh, finding a, a happy meeting ground between the genders, uh, that didn't work so good. Um, I, do, I do admire Zelda's writing. I mean, uh, even the fact that she's coming out from under an anesthetic and she says Mark Twain, it's like, that's very lucid. She's talking about how uh, deep she is in the anesthetic, how, how drunk she is, because Samuel Clemens got the name Mark Twain from the steamboat uh, terminology for how deep the water was under the steamboat on the Mississippi River. So for her to say, oh God, Goofo, I'm drunk, Mark Twain, that's that's terrifically impressive. That's uh, that's a high level of intellect and a high level of wit, uh, even when you're uh, um, really really not in complementus. And uh, I don't know. Maybe that was uh, that was something that uh, they signaled to each other. Mark Twain was what you said when uh, you realized that you were drunker than you intended to be and drunker than you should be. Um, but in terms of how that connects uh, Scott Fitzgerald and, and Zelda with uh, Margaret Mitchell and John Marsh, uh, Margaret Mitchell wrote a column for the Atlanta Journal Sunday Magazine, uh, one of the last columns that she wrote about uh, disastrous instances of hiccups that lasted for days, hours, weeks, or whatever. And uh, sure enough, as, as soon as uh, she and John Marsh got engaged, uh, she was now divorced from, uh, from Upshaw and was marrying John Marsh. John Marsh got the hiccups and got the hiccups for days or weeks on end and uh, was almost destroyed by that. And it's like, uh, John, I would have taken a hint. <laughs> so, uh, this, is, this is not really going to pan out. And uh, yeah, the fact that uh, that happened, mm, what was that, 1924, 25. And in 1921, um, you know, uh, coming out from anesthetic Zelda saying, uh, she has the hiccups. I hope it's beautiful and a fool, a beautiful little fool. I think that's uh, 
could probably you could probably use that to describe uh, all four of them: John Marsh, Scott Fitzgerald, Margaret Mitchell, and Zelda. Uh, so yeah, and then that connects, of course, obviously to uh, Fitzgerald doing the legendary two weeks of unused dialogue work on uh, on Gone with the Wind. It's uh, okay. Um, you beat Zelda. Um, Margaret beat John Marsh, but Margaret beat you, beat you because uh, not only did you have to work on her book, adapting it for the films, uh, you weren't credited and none of your work was used. So, yeah, 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 the women win, kind of thing. Uh, so it was funny, yeah, then uh, uh, you quoted the, the introduction. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, by, by imparting these uh, more esoteric observations. It's like uh, uh, Michael, Michael isn't, isn't going away empty on this. And to make sure that he's uh, uh, not, not going away empty on this, then you, he, uh, he commented about uh, Foreman Boyd 597, 598. Uh, Service is running through the snowstorm and has a hallucination or dream of Rick. Rick's giving Cerebus directions on how to get over the ridge. Then an older Rick appears and says to Cerebus, we'll see each other once more after today. The something, this is scratched out, around with the something also scratched out. And something scratched out again. But as yet, something scratched out for the fourth time. Or something scratched out the last time. Come and see. Cerebus uh, then said, oh, yes hyphen, hyphen, T, that's right. Cerebus already saw. <laughs> and, of course, then you uh, you email Michael the, uh, the page that uh, explains that this is, this is what was said, and then sent him uh, chapter the 14th. <laughs> Michael goes, sigh, you're good. That's why you run Amit. Nothing except racist stuff, laugh out loud, gets by you. Uh, strike two, I'll quit while I'm at. Just tell Dave that I hope he had a great birthday. So Michael hopes you had a great birthday. And I haven't uh, reread chapter the 14th, I don't think, since uh, since I wrote it. And uh, again, so, uh, so Michael doesn't go away empty-handed. Uh, I do have actual biblical references in chapter the 14th. Uh, the prophet Rick, fulfilling the promise he had made in the sanctuary, appeared unto Cerebus in the spirit, speaking unto Cerebus and saying, and being in the spirit is a term that uh, John the Evangelist uses in, uh, in Revelation to indicate that he's not in his body uh, he's in his spirit. Uh, the waters abound with the new and faithful, but as yet the fishers are few. Uh, come and see. Now, what I'm doing there is actually fusing uh, the synoptic Jesus and the Johanna Jesus. The, uh, the idea of fishers, of men as fishers, that's the synoptic Jesus. 
That's in Matthew 419, uh, where he says to the, uh, to the disciples, and I will make you fishers of men, as opposed to fishers of fish, uh, which is phrased slightly differently in Mark 117, I will make you to become fishers of men. And that would be an interesting discussion, just uh, discussing what the difference in, uh, in those comments uh, uh, are. Where the difference between I will make you fishers of men and I will make you to become fishers of men. Making someone to become something is different from making that person something. Uh, and then come and see is uh, from John's Gospel 139, which he addresses to Andrew and uh, the unnamed uh, disciples who uh, are following the Johann and Jesus and want to know where he is remaining. And he says, uh, see you coming and you will see. And I translate it in the conventional sense of come and see, which isn't, again, what he's actually saying. The, uh, the concept of be you coming and you will and, and see and you will see is very different from the concept of come and see, and particularly as regards the Joanne and Jesus. Uh, I'm just coming up on that point now. Uh, I'll be starting uh, my commentaries on chapter three. And it's like, no, this is this is in, in import, an important distinction. Uh, uh, I, I am arriving is different from I have arrived. Uh, arriving is a process taking place. So it's interesting rereading my work and going, oh wow, I didn't know that I was I was that far uh, I was far that far along in my uh, distinctions between. Synoptic Jesus and the Joanna Jesus, and uh, using using the two of them myself. So uh, I got a good laugh when I got to uh, chapter the 14th, verse 10. Uh, Come and see, and if Sarah does answer unto the drowning guys, then you know that it's it's the actual deal. This this is the Sarah because he has no idea what baptism is. Uh, looking at what's going on, it just looked like uh, uh, Jesus and his disciples uh, were drowning guys, which is another reference from the Johanna and Jesus, the beginning of chapter four, which oddly enough is where I am in my reading right now. As therefore knew the Lord that heard the Pharisees that Jesus more disciples and is making and is baptizing than John. And then uh, verse 2 is uh, a subordinate clause. Although indeed Jesus, he not was baptizing, but the disciples of him. Uh, that's interesting. Again, that's uh, uh, although indeed Jesus himself did no baptizing, but his disciples did, is how it's traditionally translated. Uh, it could be that, or it could also be, uh, although in Jesus, he not was baptizing, but the disciples of him. He only baptized his disciples. And 
indeed Jesus himself did no baptizing, but his disciples did, which is why I always try to go back to the word-for-word literal translation, because the way it's phrased, there's two different meanings there. The way it's traditionally translated, there's one meaning. And anytime you close off a meaning through your translation, then you're changing scripture and you're, tra- you're changing um, what is presumably, all of us monotheists believe, uh, the word of God. So there you go. Uh, like I say, Michael didn't want to see it go, go away empty. So uh, there, there's, there's, there's some, uh, some hamburger help for, uh, for your question. And where are we doing? Am I, I've lost my way here. Have I lost my way? No, no, no. We're up to, we're up to page six. So, seven would be the next one. Oh, right. Okay. Scott Fitzgerald. Here we go. And uh, speaking of uh, F. Scott. Fitzgerald, the New York Times reported, to help commemorate its 125th anniversary, the Times book review is highlighting some noteworthy first mentions of famous writers. You can find the full list here. Some of our favorites, F. Scott Fitzgerald, in 1916, Princeton admitted only men, and he would often play women's roles in campus plays. Uh, The Times featured a photo of Fitzgerald in character, calling him, quote, the most beautiful showgirl, unquote. Uh, is, is this your comment? Makes me wonder if he and Emmyway ever performed in a cabaret together. Or yeah, that yeah, that was me. That was you. Okay. Yeah, that's one of those. Uh, I'm sure the Times uh, was delighted uh, to do that because it's uh, hey, anything that's uh, LGBTQ or remotely related. And we were there first. This is the most important thing that we can possibly say about uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald at this point. And uh, Scott really only has uh, himself to blame for that because he was one of the original um, androgynes. I mean, not, not... literally androgyne, certainly not in the sense that Hemingway was, but um, he was a very pretty young boy at the time that he was in Princeton and uh, sort of sort of reveled in that. Uh, the, um, this, is, this, is, this is my shtick. This is, this is where I'm working from. Uh, all the women are going to love me because... Uh, I identify far more with uh, with female stuff than uh, than most men do, and not realizing, uh, no, you're really you're speaking too far over into no man's land, um, Scott. It would be it would be nice if that would hold steady the way you saw it and the way you perceived yourself, but. Uh, no, the, uh, the ground is very turbulent over there, and you're going to end up somewhere that uh, that 
brought me to the, uh, and I'm pretty sure I quoted this in uh, uh, the Going Home Annotations, uh, from Gore Vidal's uh, The Second American Revolution and Other Essays, 1976 to 1982. Um, one of the, one of the uh, birds that came home to roost for Scott was... Uh, the fact that his perception of homosexuality, which was not favorable, and that was nothing unusual in the 1920s, and uh, that his his term for homosexuals was fairy uh, or fairies. Uh, again, that's that's shifting ground. And by the time Corvidal is coming along, and uh, is is an early champion of uh, the normalizing of homosexuality. Uh, this really, really uh, rubbed him the wrong way. And uh, I can read uh, his essay, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald's case, uh, over and over and never get tired of it because it's it's so artfully done. Uh, to me, it's, it's misguided. But beautifully phrased, definitely stacked in his deck. Um, uh, here's uh, here's the, the paragraph that I considered relevant. Uh, he says there are very few youth as handsome as Fitzgerald who go unseduced by men or boys in the sort of schools that he attended. And it's like, mm, that's one of those ones where if I was uh, your college professor. I would write in the margin in red ink, prove, question mark. <laughs> it's, uh, this is, this is uh, Bedell's prejudice, I would maintain, as a gay man, that uh, this, this was a, 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 a verifiable truth that he was enunciating, that there are very few youth as handsome as Fitzgerald who go unseduced by men or boys in the sort of schools that he attended. I'm sure that that was Gore Vidal's experience, but that's got to be far more a homosexual than a straight experience. Uh, Zelda's occasional, it goes on, Zelda's occasional accusations that Fitzgerald was homosexual have usually been put down to the fact that she was either off her rocker or outed on that rocker she was eager to wound Fitzgerald to draw psychic blood. Uh, that seems balanced to me. It, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much the two sides of that argument. In a position paper which Fitzgerald may or may not have sent to Zelda when she was hospitalized, he wrote, quote, the nearest I ever came to leaving you was when you told me you thought that I was a fairy in the Rue Palantine, unquote. Uh, and then... Corvidal goes on to say the answer to that one is stay away from the Rue Palantine. And it's like, okay, I, 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 I understand the compelled inference by, by the way that he's saying it. The Rue Palantine was a hangout for homosexuals. And I think that was one of those. Um, Fitzgerald was just being, you know, Fitzgerald, the. Uh, the, the handsome young author, handsome virile young author, and uh, to Zelda it looked like he was just 
flirting with everybody in the vicinity. Um, and, you know, that's one of those, well, okay, if you're walking through an area that's primarily made up of gay men and you're in uh, Paris or you're in France, um, that's going to look one way to your American life uh, than it does to them and than it does to you. Um, I had to I had to close the book at that point because it's like no just watching uh, Corbett Hell slice and dice people is uh, is definitely definitely uh, intellectual blood sport and uh, not not worthy of my time and attention. The other one the other one that uh, stuck in my mind was there was a there was uh, a note in one of Fitzgerald's. Uh, notebooks uh, that was reprinted in the collection, the most important collection, uh, The Crack Up. And I'm going, I'm not sure, I don't remember how he said it, but uh, it was interesting. And I got to go through all of these notes until I find it. I found it. Uh, it was an observation. Men get to be a mixture of the charming mannerisms of the women they have known. And it's like, mm, <laughs> no, uh, again, I, uh, it's, it's a nice idea. Uh, I understand what you're talking about, but uh, no, you don't want to um, craft on female mannerisms to yourself and then take umbrage when people think that you're gay or your wife thinks that you're gay. Uh, I think what he's talking about is certainly in any in any relationship when you are uh, uh, you have an intimate relationship with a woman, particularly if you're married and you're together for years on end, um, you you certainly do come to know their particular mannerisms, and you do notice that uh, those mannerisms come to mind in specifically uh, in specific situations. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, when I was going out with Susan Alston, uh, she had a puttering face that she put on. She was uh, a great putterer because she was a great homemaker. Uh, so she had a specific, specific face that was part in-thrust chin, out-thrust chin, um, eyes darting back and forth at whatever it is that she next had to fix. And uh, whenever I'm puttering, like washing dishes or having to dust or clean or whatever else, uh, it, uh, that uh, those mannerisms do come to mind. I don't see myself doing them, which I, I think where Scott went over the line that uh, uh, the, very, uh, the various women that he was involved with, uh, he would picture that and then sort of assume the mannerism himself. It's like, no, it's uh, intimacy is one thing. Uh, projection is something else entirely. And you, you, want, to, you want to avoid that. Very nice to know somebody well enough to know unconscious mannerisms and to call those to mind and think of those when you're doing something that they're doing 
you're talking about the sum of your own being and existence. And I would, I would definitely avoid doing that. And I don't think Scott did avoid doing that. He thought that that made him a, a man of the future, the, the genuine Superman who was coming up ahead, who, uh, who would do things like that, basically become some of uh, the charming mannerisms of the women that he had known. So uh, again, there's uh, probably far more information on that one than, than you wanted, but as soon as I, I read the observations, I thought, oh yeah, that's the New York Times, all right. Uh, okay, here's, here's my take on it. The, the funny part about that photo to me, because it's, it's the photo of Scott and then the photo of Scott in drag, is I, I searched the photo because I wanted to find a better copy of it to send, and it's a promotional photo for a play called The Evil Eye that Scott wrote, but he was banned from performing in it because of uh, academic problems. Yes. And, yes. And, His marks weren't high enough to be... Uh... Uh, doing doing plays, and uh, that's one of those things where okay, you you're going to school and uh, eyes on the prize. The idea is to uh, not fail and uh, try and get high enough marks so that uh, so that you can graduate, and then you can do all of this other stuff exclusively. I would have been exactly the same way. It was one of the reasons that I dropped out in high school. It's like, uh, I just can't pretend that all of this is uh, as important to me as, as people want this to be. But yes, that definitely happened to, uh, to Scott at Princeton, which uh, he definitely got his revenge because if he's not um, the most famous uh, Princeton student, uh, he's definitely the most fa uh, famous failed Princeton student, where uh, uh, that's, uh, if I had to call to mind another Princeton graduate that people would have heard of, uh, no, nobody's in, uh, in the same category as, uh, as F. Scott Fitzgerald, and uh, that's one of those things, took, took a few decades to get there. Gerald's sad story, uh, drank himself to death, crazy wife. Uh, that's all that this guy was, uh, which is basically the what Corvidal was trying to uh, recover. But let's let's go back to thinking of Scott that way because uh, uh, if this guy who calls homosexuals fairies turns out to be uh, some great uh, literary master, then. Uh, Almost everything that I'm working on is for naught, and it's like, well, it's not for naught, but uh, you can't you can't uh, elevate homosexuality by destroying F. Scott Fitzgerald, and that was one of the points that I think Cora Vidal got to. Uh, David Hartman asks, I recently inquired a therapist's phone book, uh, 2001, uh, tenth printing for eight bucks. I immediately noticed that the panel with Cerebus from the back, issue number one, is in silhouette, like the counterfeit single issue. Anyone else notice this or know why? I have no idea what he's talking about. Do you know what he's talking about? 
Uh, it, okay, in the counterfeit service number one, the number one telltale way to tell a real from a counterfeit, if you actually can open the books and look at them, is page 16 with the big dragon. The little service figure in the original is colored. He, he's toned, but he's also slightly, it's a darker tone because he's in shadow. And in the counterfeit, right. he's black. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, that would be pre-remastering fault. Um, to get to get the most thorough answer on that, uh, you'd probably want to talk to Sean Robinson about the raw materials that he had to work with. I, I think what he discovered was um, that... Uh, Cerebus number one until he actually got to it and was able to remaster it from the raw materials was basically done pretty much as the counterfeit was, just uh, just shot from the printed copies. That would be Swords of Cerebus and uh, the early um, Cerebus um, trade paperbacks. And that seems to loop us back to the... Back to the uh, earlier question about uh, how long did this go on and it's like it would not surprise me that uh, the 10th printing uh, we were still doing that just because everything was forward momentum 2001 it was um, 200, 264 issues done 36 more to go uh, I hope I don't lose my mind before we get there, and uh, I have to stay focused on this and do the best possible job that I can. Um, in terms of priorities, oh my God, this picture of Cerebus with the dragon, he's a silhouette instead of a toned figure. We have to work on this. It's like, mm, after March 2004, there will be plenty of time to work on this. And uh, in terms of the remastering, uh, 2004 wasn't even the beginning of it. 2004 was when I started putting together the, the archive, like boxes of papers from downstairs, and some of them um, have rising damp, and the cardboard is rotting, and I have no idea what papers are in there, but uh, I can't stop working on Cerebus in order to go down and get all of those and rescue them because I don't know which boxes need rescuing. And uh, that, was, that was the higher priority. Again, uh, people were buying the service trade paperback. I wasn't getting uh, bags and bags of mail from people saying, why is service a silhouette on this page? So uh, you fix the things that you need, you think need fixing in uh, in order of priority, and when you're talking about a 6,000-page graphic novel, uh, boy, oh boy, is there is there a number of priorities? And I'm still doing that to this day. What's what's the next thing that I have to do? And uh, what's what's the best way to do it? And try and get as much of it done as possible in however much time I've got left, my 60s, my 70s, uh, if I keep going into my 80s. And then, uh, okay, Eddie Kana, over to you. This is, <laughs> this is 
how much I got done in 50 or 60 years. Uh, I hope you don't, you don't have 60, 50 or 60 years worth of work left to do, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me a great deal to, uh, to find that out. Okay, and JDG, Jen DiGiacomo, Giacomo. I'm trying to learn how to pronounce that. It's Jack Amo, Giacomo. I, I, I think I got it now. Does anyone know what year this Christmas card is from? And I can narrow it down as far as uh, it was the year after Jack Frost roasting on the open fire, because that one everyone thought was funny. And um, I thought, okay, I have to, I have to live up to that one. And I thought this one was funny. The uh, what if you merged uh, a Christmas Carol with uh, It's a Wonderful Life, so that you had equal parts of one and the other. And, you know, the ghost of Jacob Marley. Look, Daddy, Petro says, when a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. And that one landed with a complete dull thud. Um, my dad in particular, uh, I was trying to, he, he, he was asking me, oh, I don't get it, what is the joke? And it's like, uh, it's a Christmas Carol and, and a wonderful life. And I'm not sure it was true, but my impression was my dad didn't know what it's a wonderful life is. And it's like, mm, and I don't really know what to say to you about it. I, I assume everybody knew what it's a wonderful life is. And Zuzu at the end saying, look, daddy, uh, Teacher says, when a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Uh, so, um, like I say, it would be the year after Jack Frost roasting on an open fire. I think Jack Frost roasting on an open fire was uh, Karen McKeel was still there. So it would be 87, 86, 87, 88, somewhere in there. Um, Siskel and Ebert are part of the punchline, and um, uh, Gene Siskel died sometime after I did that card, and not long after I did that card. So if you look up uh, birth and, and death dates for Gene Siskel, uh, whatever, whatever year he died, it was the Christmas before that that, uh, that this card was. That's, that's as close as, uh, as I can get to, uh, to an answer. I think he died in 93. 93? I, I, I cut some of, uh, there's back and forth between Jen and Margaret about the card, and Jen said that it mentions Dean Siskel and he died. She said what year he died, and I thought it was 93. Okay. So it could well, be 92. Right. Yeah, that, that wouldn't surprise me at all, that, uh. Whatever year it was, that's all I could uh, all I could help with uh, on that one. Um, 
your dad not knowing It's a Wonderful Life kind of makes sense to me, but that's because... So, It's a Wonderful Life is a beloved holiday classic that everyone has seen multiple times, but it was an absolute failure at the box office the year it was released. It just bombed horribly. And it bombed so bad that when the copyright came up for renewal, the right holders went, there's no money in this, and they, they let it go in the public domain. Enter, really? enter UHF television where anything they can show on TV for the cheapest amount of money is the greatest thing in the world, and it became a beloved holiday classic because every year at Christmas they can show it and not have to pay anyone any money. See, you couldn't make that up. It's like, what fools these mortals be? Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. And it was, uh, it was, what's his name, made the film? I'm trying to remember the name. Frank Capra. Frank Capra, yeah. And it's like, uh, that's always seen as, as one of one of his major hits. That, uh, yes, this is the Frank Capra film that everybody, everybody knows. Uh, um, far more than, let's say, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington or Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, uh, with the former being far more well-known than the latter, although probably not deservedly so. And now it's like, it's Frank Capra. Everything Frank Capra did was brilliant. Let's, uh, let's not be stupid about this. And it's like, yes, but it wasn't, wasn't seen that way at the time. It was like Capra had hits and misses, hits and misses, uh, doing what, what he thought was uh, the right things to do. Uh, I think what we're probably hoping for is that someone somewhere over the next 50, 75, 100 years will have a uh, set of the Cerebus Christmas cards with the original envelope that came in and the postmark on it. And until that happens, we're not going to know when the Cerebus uh, Christmas cards were actually done. It was That was another one of those. Uh, if you want, if you're going to do Christmas cards, <laughs> you, you You've got to do them like in July or August, which is not the time that you want to be thinking about Christmas cards. But you can't suddenly start going, hey, it's getting to be Christmas. Time to do a Christmas card. But then it's too late. Uh, and most of the time it was, yeah, if I thought of something and I really wanted to do it, which I did with this one, then I will do it. Um, but in terms of Time to sit down and do a Christmas card. Uh, I think only married cartoonists with kids did that. Um, just because, well, Christmas is a big deal, so the family's got to have a family Christmas card. Us, uh, us grumpy old, isolated, uh, singleton divorcee uh, cartoonists, it's like, uh, forget about it. It's, I'll, I'll go and buy a bunch of Christmas cards and I'll write something funny in each one of them. And then this year, David Birdsong bailed me out by sending me a bunch of Service uh, and Al uh, Christmas postcards. So it's like, okay, as I told him, this is this is a giant giant load off my mind in June because this is when I would have to start thinking about doing the Artvark Anaheim Christmas card. And I really have no inclination to do that. There's no. There's no money in Christmas cards. I got to do stuff that makes money. Uh, I, 
done by my fingernails. And uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> uh, go ahead. No, 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 I'm just laughing. Okay, all right. I, I have the same... I have the same thing every November. I'm like, I should have done a Christmas card this year. And it's like, I got a week or two that I could actually get something done, get get it copied, then put it in envelopes. And it's like, do I have an idea? Yeah. Is it funny? Sure. Can I get it done in a week? No. No, not in November. Once you're into that uh, Christmas uh, maelstrom uh, whirlpool, it's like, no, the, the, the steep drop into the inner whirlpool Everybody goes, oh, right, November. I can't get anything done in November. I can't even think about anything about the, aside from the absolute essentials in November. And uh, I think once all of the lockdowns end, everybody's going to go in November. Boy, do I ever miss the lockdown. <laughs> it's like, I, I didn't have to do all of this stuff. Now I remember what Christmas used to be. Uh, starts right after Halloween. Uh, two and a half days later, it's here, and you didn't get everything done the way that you were supposed to, and you feel like crap. Um, so Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, JDG also asks, Ron Esler, reminder. Hey, I'm starting to speak uh, fluent uh, service fan. I know who Ron Esler is. Uh, if you are short on questions, I'm curious about the Cerebus Companion referenced in the Buyer's Guide for Comic Fandom. 471, November 26, 1982. And Margaret said, Jen, what do you want to know about it on the CFG site, uh, Cerebus Fangirl site? Cerebus Companion, Jerry Sweet, published in a very limited edition by the author, Jerry Sweet. There is an electronic version at the above race space website link. I have also a PDF version, which is pretty large, 18 megabytes, Jerry Sweet, Cerebus Companion, PDF, right-click and save on, save as on link, 17.8 megabytes in size. It is a summary and discussion on Cerebus up through Jacket Start. As far as I know, it was never released in a book format. The race space link is dead. Oh, that's so sad. I don't even know what race space is or what a link to it is. And it's dead. Oh, but there is a PDF version on this Facebook group under the file section. And then Jen clarifies, is this the same one as referenced in 1982? The copyright is 1989 on the file you mentioned, which I had printed out years ago. It doesn't include interviews, unpublished artwork, photos, nor sketches. If it is different, then I'm curious what it morphed into. And Margaret mentioned, Ron, when you asked Dave Jen's question, I wonder how much that news blurb has to do with the Erebus collector stuff from his fourth notebook. Seems very similar. Bingo, Margaret, now you're talking about what Cat Ironwood was talking about in 1982. Albatross 4 covers service issues number 41 to 45 with 99 pages out of 108 pages scanned. 
pages dealt with a never-published title called Cerebus Collector. There is a content listing on page 14. And there you go. I'm not going to go through the whole contents listing. But yes, this was a reaction to a publication called the ElfQuest Gatherum, which I don't believe uh, Wendy and Richard published. I might be wrong about that, but uh, I I think they did it through uh, through Fantagraphics, or is that just some weird fever dream that I had? Anyway, uh, it was basically unpublished ElfQuest stuff, um, interviews, a couple of other things, um, raw materials, and I thought, hey, that's a great idea. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do one of those. I will do a Cerebus version, but instead of a uh, Gatherum, I will do the Cerebus Collector. Here's uh, here's stuff that uh, Cerebus fans would be interesting in collecting, which uh, they can't collect because there's only one of them, and it's, they're in the Cerebus archive. Um, and then I got the whole list done, and I went. Is anybody going to buy this? Um, it's like, how, how much of this stuff is genuinely of interest? And it was, well, there's, there's stuff here that's genuinely of interest. It's just of interest to how many people? Um, because I don't want to go and find a publisher for it, uh, which means I'm going to have to publish it. And if I'm eating... Uh, copies of the Cerebus Collector 15, 20 years from now. Uh, now is the time to make sure that that doesn't happen by just saying, ah, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Uh, the sketch that uh, Margaret includes from the notebook, yes, the, uh, the cover is done. Um, I didn't have time to go through and find it uh, before we, uh, we did this conversation here. Uh, but I did, I, I did get the cover done to the Cerebus Collector. The, uh, the bell jar on the right, uh, that's got the, um, prototype Cerebus stuffed toy that, uh, Sally Hitchens did which was the only one that had white fur because uh, that was the only kind of uh, uh, stuffed toy fur that she had at the time. She, she would go out and get gray fur um, if we decided to go ahead and do these, but this was just, is it possible to do a service uh, uh, stuffed toy that's you know, six, eight inches high or whatever it was. It was very, very cute. And it's gone. I have absolutely no idea where the Sarah Hitchens prototype of, uh, of the Cerebus stuffed toy went. And that's one of those questions that gets attached to a 6,000 page graphic novel. Where did it go? I wouldn't have thrown it out. I don't think I would have ignored it. Uh, I don't think I gave it back to, uh, Sally, Sarah, um, I don't think she 
house on its own pedestal like this with a bell jar over top of it. Uh, but I, I haven't seen it since, uh, since the 1970s. Uh, copy of service number one on the wall. I can't remember what the other two images are. Um, I will, I will go and check that. I know, I know where the, the piece of artwork is. Um, it's in with <laughs> basically, uh, the project would, would keep getting revised. Uh, one of the questions became, well, okay, here's all of this unpublished stuff. So, uh, it's the service collector. They want to collect all of the stuff. Here's the stuff that, uh, they don't have that if I do this book, it'll only be in here. That got merged with the idea of doing a black and white volume 17 of uh, the service trade paperbacks. Here's the trade paperback with everything in it that isn't uh, in the trade paperbacks. Now, that, as Margaret knows, and as Jen knows, uh, that's far easier said than done. If you do sit down and say, okay, this is going to be a volume that's going to have everything in it that's black and white, not, not the, the epic stories or any of the other color work, uh, just the black and white therapist stuff that isn't in the trade paperbacks, how many pages does that work out to be? And that becomes the same kind of question of, uh, look, I can't, I, I can't even sell uh, copies of the last day, or I can sell copy of copies of latter days, but 50 copies will hold diamond for, uh, you know, a year, uh, eight months or whatever, before they have to order another 50 copies. If I do a trade paperback, volume 17, with all of the black and white material, and it turns out to be uh, 400, 500 pages. First of all, I have to pay, uh, pay Sean to remaster all of it. Uh, then I have to make up a complete list and then I have to put it all in order and then I have to solicit for it. And, uh, then it's okay. Here's how many that you sold. Uh, it's, I think I can make more money doing Teenage Ninja Turtles and Spawn and Service Number One and Service Number Two and uh, High Society prints. Um, I can't get out of that that warm spot. This is uh, this is like Mister Freeze in the old uh, Batman TV show. Here, everything is absolutely subarctic temperatures except this little spot here, and that's that's the box that I'm in. So, uh, it's one of those, I've got a stack of stuff that is, uh, the last time that I visited this was, uh, when Sandy was working with me, uh, on a part-time basis, but every week and when, no, this is good. Well, uh, let's, let's put together a project to this and, uh, this, this will sell really well. And it's like, well, okay, you start to put it together and then it's, okay, uh, when did this come out? <laughs> it's like, 
the 1970s or 1980s. Well, you can't you can't do a book that says, oh, this came out sometime in the 1970s or 1980s. It's like, no, we want to know exactly when it came out and exactly why it came out. Well, in that case, it's it's my work again. It's uh, I can't get this project off of my desk and onto anybody else's desk without that somebody coming back and going, well, what's this? And uh, when did this come out? And what do you know about this? And it's like, mm, no, homie don't play that no more. It's, uh, when it's off homie's desk and it's on your desk, then it's going off onto somebody else's desk and then it's gonna turn into money. And then <laughs> homie gets his payday. Uh, this, no, uh, homie, you gotta do all of the heavy lifting on this. So we have no idea how it's gonna do. Uh, no, that's, that's, that's not going to happen. So, uh, I, I'm not meeting anybody halfway on this. Uh, I'll see what I can do looking down the list. Um, man, there's, there's stuff in here that I know what it is and that there's others that I'm going, I have no idea uh, what that is. So if there's stuff where I go, okay, I know what that is. I know where there's a copy of it. And I know um, where I can lay my hands on it and get Rolly to scan it. I will do that and then uh, then send it to, uh, email it to you. And you can put it in a moment of service. But believe me, like I say, this is not meeting you, meeting anybody halfway and going, hey, how about this? Isn't it time that we publish this? It's like, if there was an easy way to publish it, that would be fine. I, um, I know Sean is chomping at the bit to do the miscellany volume. Like, uh -huh. like he really, really wants to do it, but it's a case of finding the time, getting the resources, you know. We only have a, we only have a you know, 25-year-old printed copy of whatever, that's going to be a lot more work than, oh, hey, here's the original art scanned in at 1,200 DPI. But we, right. he and I have talked about it in the past, and it's, a, oh, yeah, we really, really, really want to do this. And he really wants to do it right, not not just slap everything together and, you know, okay, it's good enough. It, it, he wants it to be Sodor perfect. So I know he's... It's on his radar, but it's one of those he knows it's a hill that's going to take forever to climb. Right. Right. And I know I'm, everybody listening to this wants a copy, but how many people are listening to this? Right. Right. Oh, nice segue, by the way, because uh, that, that was one of the things I've been mulling over and going, okay, one, one of the things I want to try doing with... Uh, a moment of service and the police hold for Dave Sim. Uh, the next Kickstarter that we're going to be doing is for service archive number nine. And uh, we're getting we're getting ramped up on that because the High Society Regency edition books have come in in North Carolina. Uh, print number one is being printed and put with them. Uh, it's going to be shipped out, which means those books will start arriving in uh, uh, all of the, uh, the pledge partners and mailboxes who uh, who ordered one way way back when when uh, 
when the earth was still cooling. And uh, that's, that's the signal that I want to use to do the next Kickstarter when, uh, when I'm doing a Kickstarter is, okay, uh, now you've got positive feedback. You paid for this. You waited for this. It finally came in. Now here's the next project while you're, while you're psyched about uh, the ownership of the thing that you waited on. Um, the service archive number nine, it's like, okay, I want to offer something to the moment of service people, and not just the moment of service people, uh, the absolute psychos that actually listen to Please Hold for Dave Sim all the way through, coming up on, on the end of hour number two. And it's like, you should get something for that. You should, you should have some sort of reward for that level of interest and that level of dedication. However many of you, uh, many of you there are, uh, five, six, uh, nine, I, I'm hazarding a guess. Uh, Michael R. and a handful of other people. Let's listen to all of this. So uh, I've got to, I, I, I had Sean uh, look up Service archive number eight, and uh, okay, what what did it go for? And pretty much what I remember, it was hundred dollars US, and uh, the Canadian dollar is appreciating like crazy. So it's one of those. Well, okay, hundred dollars US was much better news when service archive number eight came up, and it's going to be on service archive number nine. But let's let's leave that aside. What, what we're going to do is is something nice for the uh, uh, the moment of service uh, people who are actually listening to please hold for Dave Sim. But what I'm going to do with service archive number nine, and because of the new add-on thing that they've got at Kickstarter, you will be able this time to be bought be able to buy any of the nine service archive portfolios that you're interested in getting. Um, and what we're going to do with the pricing is if you buy one portfolio, you pay full price. If you buy two portfolios, you get 5% off. Uh, three portfolios, you get 10% off. Four portfolios, you get 15% off. Uh, you see where I'm going with this, all the way up to nine portfolios at 45% off. You can buy nine service archive number nine. You can buy three number ones, you can buy one number one, one number two, one number three, one number nine. It's up to you. Uh, all it's going to have on the Kickstarter is the pricing. If you're buying international or you're buying in the United States or you're buying in Canada, this is what you're going to be paying and this is the postage charge on top of it for this many portfolios. You put in the comments section or in your backer report, these are the portfolios that, that we want. Those will be relayed to us here at the Off White House. And Roly, who is scrupulous about making sure everybody gets exactly what they want, uh, will be collecting all of these and saying, okay, each of the packages is going to be put together for each individual exactly the way they want it done. 
you can have the portfolios personalized to other people. If you want to buy three of them for Christmas gifts and you're buying four, including your own, hey, guess what? You, you definitely get yours at a much lower price. I'll be happy to personalize them to whoever you want me to personalize them to. Merry Christmas, whoever. Uh, happy anniversary, Doris and Steve, or whoever it is, on any of the portfolio. You just have to put that in the comments or email that to Sean. He'll relay it to Rolly. Rolly shows it to me while I'm doing the, uh, um, the front labels, and uh, I will make sure that everything gets done exactly the way you want it done. Getting to the please hold for Dave Sims side of this, if you are within the sound of my voice and you still use physical checks, you're an old person like me. You actually prefer to use physical checks. Uh, it makes you break out in eyes to use PayPal and all that sort of stuff like that there. Uh, send a check for not $100, not $95, not $90, $85 U.S. postage covered to Aardvark Van Nuys. And if you're on our list, if you've ordered Service Archive before and you've got a Service Archive number, Rolly is going to know that. You just have to send the check and say, this is my number, and we will make sure that you get the number, and we'll make sure that you get it as soon as the Kickstarter is over. And this is only for the people who are within the sound of my voice. Or if you want to cheat and uh, tell people that don't listen to uh, these old for days and what the deal is, uh, that's fine too. But uh, I am a guy that prefers physical checks. I would rather, if I get a check for $85, uh, I don't have to pay Kickstarter anything. I don't have to pay Amazon anything. So consequently, I can pass the savings on to you. And, uh, you know, this is for... Uh, uh, Michael R., number 26. This is for uh, Jeff Seiler, number 301. Uh, Rolly and I have a bunch of the numbers memorized at this point. It's not going to be a problem getting you the number. You send in the check. You don't even have to uh, uh, jump onto the Kickstarter. It's like, no, we've got you covered. Um, the, the discount for you uh, extends from the $85, the 5% off that you're going to get on Kickstarter uh, if you order two portfolios, uh, you can take the 5% off of the $85 if you're ordering two. Uh, you take 10% off the $85. Again, you see where I'm going with this. Um, the more portfolios we can sell at one time, the lower the, uh, the shipping costs are. So we can put them all in. Um, one or two or three of the folders and take the folders together and they will arrive in perfect condition. So that's one of those. This should tell me, I think, uh, I'll see, see if you can back me up on this, Matt. This should tell me how many people actually listen. It'll tell you how many people listen and still use checks. 
I mean, right. I can't I can't see people not wanting to take advantage of this. I mean, check or I guess they could send a money order maybe. Yeah, I mean, where this usually washes up on the shoals is that uh, Lee Sacker in England is sitting there going, uh, I can't do money orders and I can't do checks. Why can't I do PayPal? And it's like, uh, well, that's one of the drawbacks of being in England, that they, whatever it costs you to buy a money order, uh, you're going to pay as much for the money order as you're going to pay for the money. That, that you're sending. It's, uh, the UK, particularly since Brexit, they don't want UK dollars leaving the UK unless they're getting a major cut on it and unless they're discouraging you from doing that. So PayPal is usually the only way to, uh, to get, the, get the money here if, if you're in the UK. So... Um, but, it, but again, you know, in the UK, then you're talking about, well, okay, it's going to cost uh, $45 to ship an $85 portfolio. Um, if, you want, if you want to throw that money in on top uh, in terms of shipping, and if you want to go to Cerebus Downloads and, um, you know, use the, the keystroke where you go, um, here's nine $10 donations or nine $10 payment, PayPal payment. And then uh, leave a phone message here, 519-576-0610, or uh, re- relay an email by fax saying, Dave, uh, I'm paying at, pay- at uh, service downloads. This is what I paid. Uh, this is what I want to get. Uh, you're going to have to do the heavy lifting on your end. There's, there's no way that this is going to be easy. That's why Kickstarter works, because that's the easiest that we can get it. This is this is the easiest I can get it, except for Lee Thacker. <laughs> Lee, Lee is the only guy that takes it in the neck when I do stuff like this. And I sincerely apologize, Lee. Uh, you're going to have to find a workaround on it. Everybody else, uh, if you've got checks lying around somewhere, you actually own envelopes, you know what a stamp is, um, you can write the Argard Vanaheim address uh, and not even break a sweat, and then drop it in a mailbox. There you go, you're all taken care of, even before the Kickstarter starts. Okay, I will, I will, I don't know if I'm going to advertise this, as, or it's probably just going to be, a, there's a special offer, but listen, listen, and if you hear it, you hear it. Yes. I mean, that's sort of cheating as well, because there are people who go, special offer, special offer. Okay, I'll never listen to this crap. I'll listen to it if it's got a special offer on there somewhere. Uh, That's fine. That's, uh, at least least they're tuned in enough to a moment of service to, uh, you know, to check in from time to time. It's just one of those, I keep trying to figure out how do you reward the people who are actually the most ardent fans um, with something that they get for being the most ardent fan. And it seems like, well, okay, this, you know, please hold for Dave Sim. Uh, coming up to the bottom of, of two hours, uh, if you actually listen to this, and it's like some people just listen to podcasts as a matter of course. Some people 
people, uh, you know, just like podcast kind of people, and this is sort of like a podcast. It's, uh, uh, but it's a, it's far more of an inside kind of thing. It's like we all, we all know what we're talking about. We all know who each other is. These are the, the core audience of the core audience of the core audience, and uh, something has to be done to say. Wow, thanks for being the only people who really, really, really care about this. I mean, really, 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 really care about this. Add as many reallys in there as, well, as you think are necessary to convey the concept. The only other thing I could think you could offer would be to go through the 3,000 pages that that Aardvark Vanaheim still physically has the pages for and pull out Dave's favorite page that isn't necessarily the first ten pages of a graphic novel, or one of the one of the volumes, and make a print of that. And when you buy on the Kickstarter, in the survey at the end, it says, "Is there anything else we need to know?" Have everybody that listens put in Swordfish, and they get a print of that signed and numbered to however many people say Swordfish, or they get a nice picture of a Swordfish. I mean, come on. No, uh, that's actually a good idea. I was thinking of that as well because one of the pages that isn't the first 10 of, uh, of women, which is what uh, Can 9 is, uh, is the portfolio for. Wait, isn't yeah. Can 9 for reads? Uh, no, I don't think so. Because Can Cause 7... Uh, Hold on a second, let me do the... Can 8 was women, Can 9 is reads. Can 8 was women, Can 9 is reads. Yeah. Okay. Why is why is that uh, not ringing a bell with me? Because it's been, it's been a year and a half since I, I wrote all the notes on it. That's right. No, that's right. That's... Because uh, I, I missed out on 8 because I was broke and didn't have the $100. And I okay. do have seven, and seven is flight. And it's okay. flight, women, okay. reads, minds. Okay. Uh, one of the ones that got missed on women in that case, was, because it wasn't the first ten um, pages in the Cerebus archive, was the, uh, the last, place, last page splash of uh, Elrod as uh, Swoon. Or as uh, Snuff, uh, the death parody. So uh, I was thinking that's probably something that people would want. And exactly what you're saying, uh, we can throw in an extra page without uh, doing anything to the the transportation weight. It's still going to cost the same amount to to send it. So, um, yeah, let's... Let's do let's do a combination of those. If uh, if you mention swordfish in in your comment, you will get whatever the swordfish bonus is, and uh, you also get uh, the opportunity to pay in advance for eighty five dollars instead of a hundred dollars, and five percent off on uh, each of each of the uh, the progression of. Portfolios that you get. 
five percent off for two, ten percent off for three, fifteen um, percent off for four. Uh, do the math yourself. Write the check, and uh, we'll see if we can get together on this. And uh, if if there's a reason that you would have participated in this, you are within the sound of my voice. You are listening to Dave and Matt. You are interested, and you would have gone for the deal. But and dot dot dot. Uh, please let us know what the but is, so that if we can figure out a way to accommodate you, so instead of a but, you're actually included in all of this, then uh, we we will move heaven and earth to to make sure that you are included. Okay, I will I will find a way of letting people know. Without letting people know, right? And uh, that's going to be your call as well. Like, uh, how how in, how interesting do we want to make this, and how much do we want to just make it? Uh, no, let's just leave it at here. We are together. You had you had no idea that you were going to get this special offer just by listening to Dave Sim blather for two hours, but because you consider that entertainment and you consider that uh, a worthwhile uh, use of your time once a month listening to Dave Sim blather for two hours. I think that you should get something special that somebody else doesn't get because they just don't have the, the stomach for listening to Dave Sim blather. <laughs> okay. I- I'm game because I don't have to do anything. Dave, and God willing, the creek don't rise, we'll be back for July. <laughs>